Be a barbecue hero with delicious ultra low net carb hero bread, buns and tortillas. Soft and fluffy, high in fiber and with zero grams of sugar, up to 10 grams of protein. Coming in at under 100 calories per serving. Oh, and did I mention they taste like their mouth-watering traditional versions? I mean, what's not to love? Use code AH10 for 10% off your first Hero Bread purchase at Hero.co. That's AH10 for 10% off at Hero.co. It's time to get your checking account to zero with free checking from PenFed. That's zero ATM fees, zero balance requirements, and zero time spent waiting for your paycheck to direct deposit because you can receive it up to two days early. Open your account with just $25 and see how big zero can be. Apply online today at penfed.org slash free checking. Early direct deposit eligibility may vary between pay periods and timing of payers' funding. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. Welcome to Adult Bedtime Stories. Are you ready to experience nocturnal emissions? Join us in a sex-positive awakening adventure to help create a sex-positive world. Become part of a movement and start living a sex-positive lifestyle, free of sexual shame and guilt. Adult Bedtime Stories is a Ravenslayer production. Adult Bedtime Stories is a show dedicated to bringing sacredness back to our sexuality and to learn about everything sexual. Allow the beautiful sexy creature within you to emerge. Each week the focus of the show will be on a different sexual topic designed to enlighten you so you develop more fully as a sexual being. This is a sex education that you didn't receive in high school, but should have. Imagine for a moment that we could change the world and live a sex-positive lifestyle. In our sex-negative world, the process of socialization teaches us to feel shame and guilt around sex. By adopting a new set of attitudes and values, Around sex, we can view sex with a new understanding, which is accompanied with positive emotions and the attitude that sex is a sacred act. I am Lady Boy Chi, a sex expert, a life coach, and a sacred harlot. My life vision is to create a sex-positive world through adult education and BDSM performance art. Hello and welcome. This is Ladyboy Gigi, bringing you another edition of Adult Bedtime Stories. And tonight's episode, we're going to be talking about myths of sexual morality and I kind of thought about this topic when I was thinking about how we live in the dark ages when it comes to sexuality we're supposed to keep it behind closed doors 
we're not supposed to talk about it. We're not supposed to learn anything about it except by fumbling around and doing it here and there under very restrictive guidelines. And we're not supposed to study and learn information about sexuality. We're just supposed to somehow know how to do it instinctively. And where did that whole concept come from? I mean, this whole prescribed notion that, and I kind of thought about it this way, and just about every other human endeavor, we're supposed to study the subject matter. We're supposed to really practice and work hard at it and really know about the subject at hand except when it comes to sexuality. And that's partly why I see us living really in the dark ages when it comes to sex. And so tonight's show, I wanted to kind of look at where did all this come from? And why do we have so many difficulties just expressing sexuality with one another? And I think we have to kind of look back a bit and back to the ancient Greek culture and it was kind of interesting because many of the Greek gods and goddesses were very sexual creatures. I mean, think about Dionysius drinking and having wild parties in the woods, fucking like crazy, <laughs> with no remorse, no... Everything was just this state of bliss. And then, of course, Aphrodite... <laughs> and some of the other gods and goddesses. And even before the Greeks, we go way back to some of the more ancient, and we get to god, a goddess god, a hermaphrodite god. That goddess was very wild and crazy, and there was no concept of this m morality that, oh, you can't, enjoy sexuality. In fact, there's this kind of concept that sexuality was a sacred act and something to be enjoyed and to really get into the pleasures. Tonight I have Paul with me. Hello. <laughs> and we kind of researched a little bit on sexuality and and you know, I brought up the Greek gods because that was where we first started getting a hint at the roots of monogamy when Hera got upset with Zeus for appearing before mortal maidens in disguise and having sex with them, and she would become very jealous. And it was the first kind of hints that, okay, morality slipping in here this, or this myth of morality mm -hmm. that somehow being unfaithful is a bad thing and while I agree that in our modern culture and monogamous relationships when one cheats on their partner I do see that as a bad thing not so much because they're having sex with another but because they're cheating and doing it behind people's backs. 
I know for a lot of people who practice monogamy, I mean, practice polyamory or even polyfidelity, it's not considered cheating because you're not going behind anybody's back. You're being out and open about your relationships. And when you do step out of that agreement that you talk about it, then it is cheating. Oh, yeah. But I did want to just clarify that, you know, we get this kind of idea that somehow having sex with more than one person is wrong, but that's a pretty modern concept. <laughs> and so it all kind of started edging in with Hera mm -hmm. and Zeus, and it started going downhill from there. <laughs> And then the Romans came along, and the whole Christian, well, Judeo-Christian religion. You know, one of the things that really kind of came up in my mind many times is that because we do get so many modern-day do's and don'ts from the church, and, and especially from the Catholic Church, has a lot of roots in pushing this kind of sexual morality on us. Mm -hmm. And I got to thinking about it. Okay, here's a group of men that have taken a vow of celibacy and are totally virgin. And how can they be an expert on sexual <laughs> morality when they've never had sex? <laughs> and so I kind of looked at all this and I thought, you know, these are some of the myths of sexual morality mm -hmm. because they've been designed by people that don't even practice sex. So how can they know mm -hmm. what's good and what's, what's a good moral code around sexuality? Because if you've never practiced sex, how would you know? Mm -hmm. So any thoughts on this, Paul? Well, I just wanted to say that I think one of the the main reasons why religion has focused so much on the sinfulness of promiscuity is to control people and to gain power because sex is a human need it's a biological need and when you control access to that through marriage then all of a sudden, like, you have power over people and you are using a need to maintain that power. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of interesting to note that for many cultures across time, sex was, and marriage, marriage was basically not, like modern-day marriage. Mm -hmm. Parents or other authority figures decided who would marry who. It wasn't an individual's choice. It was prescribed. And a lot of that was to preserve the class system. Yes. And to preserve economics. Mm -hmm. And you had to know who the mother was in order to have this whole concept of passing wealth down from father to son. Mm -hmm. And so a big part of 
marriage for many cultures was really based on class systems and the passage of wealth. Very much so. And so we've got a moral system that's been designed not really about sex per se, but more about preserving upper class and nobility and preserving the passage of wealth from one generation to the next. Very, very much so. And I I think one of the things that happens with class is people who are lower class look up to people who are higher class to kind of form the rules of society because if the person in a higher class is perceived as, you know, sexually pure and as being right, well, the lower class people want to emulate the upper class people so that one day they might be able to be upper class or at least their children might have a chance to be. So they have to emulate them and kind of embody the morals and mores that the upper class is modeling. And of course, I use perceived to be because a lot of the times when you look back at history, the people in those upper classes were cheating on each other. They were not fidelis. Uh, men, powerful men would use their position to force themselves on weaker men and women and use their power to get away with it. But it's about the perception of purity. Yeah. And as you were talking, I was kind of thinking about how in this class system, it's also another power dynamic of male supremacy over females. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the sexual morality is really geared to keep males kind of elevated in power. Yes, very, very much so. And you think about it, I mean, if a woman shows too much interest in sex, she's called a whore or a slut and ashamed and ostracized. Mm -hmm. Yet, if a man pursues sex, it's boys will be boys. <laughs> mm -hmm. And society kind of turns their head. Or applauds it. Or applauds it, yeah. And so I look at it as, is this the kind of morality we want around sexuality? And that's why I call it the myths, mm -hmm. myths of sexual morality because it's very immoral to oh, have yeah. this imbalance. It's all about power and control, I think, or a lot of it is. Yeah, very, very much so. And I kind of want to get back to this whole concept of marriage because our modern-day marriage, especially with the gay marriage mm -hmm. kind of rising up and the uh, conservatives saying, well, we want to preserve the sanctity of marriage. This is a very <laughs> special, blessed event and we don't want to ruin it with gays getting married. That's just 
wrong. Mm-hmm. And it makes me kind of laugh because if people really understood where modern day marriage comes from, the whole concept of romantic love, mm-hmm. it comes from Queen Elizabeth's court. And basically, it started as a game that nobles played because they were their marriages were arranged sometimes at birth <laughs> for political reasons, mm-hmm. and they'd perform their duty, pop out a couple of kids as heirs to their power and preserving the class system. But they didn't love their, many of them didn't love their spouses. And so this game evolved, and it was all about having a suitor Mm -hmm. in addition to your husband or wife and someone to enjoy sex with. And there's a whole rule book written about this stuff and very prescribed roles and basically it's all about romantic love with the suitor and that's where we get words like courtship and suitors and (laughs) Mm -hmm. uh, courting yeah and those courtship rituals are still in place today you you see it all the time like um, this idea of you know, chivalry, which was its own thing, you know, most of it didn't actually have to do with the way men treated women at all. But the con- the modern concept of chivalry, like, you know, things like opening a door for the woman, pulling out her seat, um, you know, everyone knows the trope of you, you come upon like a muddy puddle and put your coat over it. Uh, I remember when I was young and wanted to impress a girl one time, I did that, and she just thought it was the most ridiculous thing. And then I had a muddy coat all day. But we still, like, are bombarded with these ghosts of this, like, ancient game. Mm-hmm. And I find it kind of interesting that the whole concept of this chivalry of Mm -hmm. opening doors for a woman or pulling their chair out it's also a way to signal to others that okay this woman's mine yes and it puts this possessiveness Mm -hmm. and ownership very very much so and it also keeps women in a specific place it it assumes that they're not strong enough and that they need someone to do silly little things like pull their seat out for them, which is offensive in my opinion. (laughs) It can be. It depends how it's done. I suppose. But but also, I mean, you know, my partner's female. I'm intersex, but Mm kind of look male-ish. I also look kind of (laughs) female-ish. But she often opens the doors for me and mm-hmm. does the <laughs> kind yeah. of, we kind of gender bend in that way. <laughs> yeah, it's fun to turn things on their head. Yeah. <laughs> and so oftentimes we can take things like that and turn them around 
and look at it from a whole different perspective and play with gender roles a little bit to help break some of this illusion. <laughs> mm-hmm. Any thoughts? I think it's really interesting going back to a point you made earlier about being able to trace like bloodlines. One of the, the ways that a lot of this morality got formed and the reason it did is because like men wanted to be sure of the paternity of the children of the women that they were with because for most of history men were seen as the the providers they they provided things for women and in return they were baby machines that cooked and cleaned the house and a man didn't mind providing for children that were his but the idea that he would be using his sweat and labor to provide things for a child that wasn't his was considered terrible and atrocious and that's one of the main reasons why monogamy has historically been way more uh, enforced for women than it has been for men. Yeah. And I think part of all this comes down to really taking breaking apart the whole concept of sex mm -hmm. and marriage. Mm -hmm. Because as long as there's an inequality in this, as long as there's this kind of system tied into preserving class and preserving the line of wealth and inheritance, it all gets clouded up. Mm -hmm. And I think what's even more important is developing a mor morality that is much more balanced. A morality of ask first. Yeah. And no means no. Yes. And <laughs> And creating a morality that really works for sexuality, not for a class system. And isn't punishment based because a lot of times when someone has promiscuous sex and they wind up pregnant or they wind up with an STD or they wind up getting someone pregnant, a lot of members of society see it as like, oh, well, that's what you get for stepping outside of these lines. You deserved it. And it's this idea of punishment for something that's seen as wrong and taboo. And I think that, you know, we need to, we need to start forming a world where we see these things that happen and have, we have sympathy for the people because it isn't a punishment for, from God for, a negative thing it's just things that are natural that happen that are misfortunes for the people they happen to and today i mean we do have things like birth control and mm -hmm. utilizing many different methods to 
prevent unwanted pregnancies. Mm-hmm. And STDs. And STDs. And one of the things that kind of blocks that is we have a system where someone's cheating. Mm-hmm. They're more concerned with not getting caught and being able to get their goodie box mm-hmm. <laughs> or get their rocks off. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes the protections go out the window. <laughs> yeah. I, another problem is that in places that the more like the focus is on non promiscuity and things like that, you've you've got things like abstinence only sex education. Whereas places where healthy exploration of sexuality is supported and celebrated, you have more comprehensive sex education that includes education about condom use and how STDs spread and methods of contraception and consent and things like that. One of the things that's I would like to bring up is that the this whole idea of teaching sexuality is not a new subject. Mm-hmm. I mean, the Kama Sutra was a, a document written as in part a sex manual, mm-hmm. but also in part a manual of what it means to be a good citizen, what it means to be a good person. Mm-hmm. And it had a lot to say about rules of conduct that have you know, we don't see in our modern culture today. And it's a much broader open, I mean, it has its own problems, of course. There's still some male chauvinistic Mm -hmm. (laughs) tendencies in it. And then you have tantric techniques and Taoist techniques and whole areas of ancient writings on how to give and receive pleasure and all spelled out very succinctly. Whereas in our culture, often we don't even talk about these things. You just throw a couple in a bedroom and let them have at it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's kind of uh, no education, no teaching, no how to pleasure each other or even communicate what each other wants. And I'd like to take a little break here. <laughs> Because one, well, one before I go on the break, I'd like to say that one of the things I've put together and I even did a show on was the erotic body map, which is a great tool to use to have both verbal and nonverbal communications with your partner about having better sex and pleasuring each other better (laughs) and learning how to pleasure each other better. Part of that is do have worksheets and everything on my website for sale Mm -hmm. and I have reduced the price way down Mm -hmm. (laughs) so if you're interested go to ravenslayerleather.com and check out some of the video training programs and I'd also like to say if you get something out of this show if you really are learning some things and want to see us continue doing this show, think about becoming a patron of our show by going to 
patreon.com. My site is patreon.com forward slash ladyboygg. <laughs> and consider giving a monthly amount. You can give as little as $1 a month or up from there. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll take a $10,000 a month donation if you're willing to give it. And I do have some goals, things to do to improve the show, but also we have production costs, and it takes time and money and equipment, and so far I've been able to manage all this out of my own pocket, but it would be helpful to get some support. Mm -hmm. And so back to the myth of sexual morality. <laughs> And I call it that because if we really had good writings and good moral system around sexuality, I don't think we'd see as much of the problems we see today. Exactly. I mean, I hear over and over again about date rape and misunderstandings and things that boundaries cross that shouldn't be. And, and it's, I think a lot of it is that we're teaching and socializing boys to go after it and for girls to be the gatekeepers and say no. And boys are supposed to have all this sexual experience before mm -hmm. they get married, yeah. but girls are supposed to stay virgins, and somehow that equation doesn't add up. <laughs> Yeah, and also homosexuality is wrong. So you can't, you know, you you you, you can't like just fuck a bunch of boys to gain your sexual yeah, exactly. experience. And masturbation is kind of taboo. <laughs> it it's also a lot of the the mixed messages people get because we get messages that, you know, sex before marriage is wrong and you're you're bad if you want to have sex with more than one person and that thinking about sex is wrong and you're dirty if you want to touch yourself and then you turn on the TV and you see side boob for days you you see sex being used to sell cars and everything hamburgers anything and everything they use sex to sell Mm-hmm. And it's, it's this kind of interesting dynamic where we're constantly being both enticed sexually and then told, no, you can't do it, <laughs> except under very prescribed circumstances. And even then, it's to raise a family and have kids and procreate. One of the things I often bring up in Temple is that of all the animals on Earth, it's human females are the only ones that have something called a clitoris. And the clitoris has no function in reproduction. It, its only function is to pleasure, to bring pleasure. And so I kind of find it interesting that even our bodies are designed not just to procreate, but to also enjoy the pleasures. Mm-hmm of the flesh <laughs> also an, another way that our body is designed is the head of a man's penis has the corona it has you know what they call the bell end 
And the reason that biologists believe that that exists is to act as a suction to draw semen from other men out of the vagina so that like your semen can be the one that impregnates a woman. And it's specifically designed around non-monogamous non sex. So our bodies are also designed not to just be with one person. Another aspect of the corona that isn't talked about a whole lot, but it's along the corona that the tip of the penis is most sensitive and brings the greatest pleasure. Mm -hmm. And so a part of our bodies are designed sexually for pleasure. Mm -hmm. Which kind of brings me to the, back to the tantric a little bit and to the Taoist techniques. And one of the things that I think we miss out on in our culture is forming that spiritual genital heart connection with our partner. Mm -hmm. And we get see sex more as a base act, not as a sacred act. I think that's another reason I see us living in the dark ages when it comes to sexuality, because we don't see it for what it really is. It is this kind of sexual spiritual amazing journey that we can take and it's an as much a physical as it is a metaphysical and even spiritual adventure yes and one of the things i've kind of noticed with sex is that when we're in the throat well even before the throes of orgasm when we're building that erotic energy and making love or masturbating even on our own, we enter into a higher state of consciousness. We're more fully present in the moment, or can be. Mm -hmm. you know, some people, they think about the laundry or they have to do <laughs> or other things while they're having sex. But, but I have found that for me, when I have sex, I slip into the moment. I'm fully present with myself and with partners if they're involved. Mm -hmm. And I look at how that compares to some of the Tibetan monks who spend years and years of meditation to achieve that state mm -hmm. of consciousness. And we can achieve it just about instantly when we get involved in sex or in BDSM even. Mm -hmm. And there's some ways to get into that headspace where we feel the ecstasy, we feel pleasure, and I find it's kind of interesting when we enjoy sex, it releases so many good chemicals in our bodies. It makes us feel better, and it's like we start shining out brighter mm -hmm. it, uh, and at a certain level I think it feeds our spiritual side we do shine out you see the spark in the person brighten mm -hmm. and shine out during sex and I've seen a lot of people have sex I know doing temple <laughs> and you know it's kind of well when I run Aphrodite's temple I don't actually 
do a lot of sex myself unless I'm doing a performance piece to kick things off. And usually that's a masturbation show. What I do is I monitor the environment and I'm the guardian of the environment to ensure that everybody's playing safely and playing with full informed consent. Mm -hmm. And so my duties as a sacred harlot is to ensure that we have a sacred space that's being respected by all who are participating. And I think that's very important role and function that has to be done as part of temple work. Without it, then things fall apart fast. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's not like I'm there as some kind of enforcement agency. Basically, if I see something, I'll go up quietly and say, uh, can you come outside? Let me talk to you for a minute. Mm -hmm. And then I say, let me show you a better way, something that's with consent. And so I work with people and teach them how to have a better experience. Yeah. And I say, you know, it doesn't always have to be just sex in temple. If one or both parties is not fully saying yes, mm -hmm. I say, okay, why don't you hold off for a little while? Yeah. Instead, give each other an erotic massage or just a back rub. Mm -hmm. And let's do some other activities and see where it takes you. And it may take you to where you're comfortable having sex together, mm -hmm. or it may be that that won't happen. Yeah. But that's a much better way to obtain consent, mm -hmm. informed consent, and, and really spares a lot of the angst around sexuality. <laughs> and what you're describing right now is where we should be focusing on morality involving sex. Um, I, I think it's very damaging that because we have perverted the name of morality uh, when it comes to sex to, to be restrictive, we don't have the opportunity to actually discuss and learn about the real morality that goes along with having sex. Now, I think you touch on an important part. We're so used to saying no and hearing no about having sex together. And one of the things I've done in Temple over and over again is I'd say, well, I understand you don't want to have sex with me. How would you like to watch me put on a masturbation show. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and that can be an amazing thing because that's saying a type of yes, oh, I would enjoy watching you get yourself off. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for me, I love voyeurs mm -hmm. and, I, and I'm, I'm such a big exhibitionist. And I also love being a voyeur sometimes. <laughs> I love watching others. And there is this kind of energy that you can get just from watching someone get off. And it's I've noticed people, as I put on shows, they get that kind of 
interesting look on their faces as they watch me. And it's really a interesting dynamic. Mm-hmm. And I think part of it is all about learning creative ways to say yes to the things we feel are within our boundaries and being able to say no when it's not. And I think far too often we don't give enough yes options. Yeah, and I I think one of the reasons that is, uh, particularly when it comes to women, is because the way this culture has evolved, uh, women very often have to be afraid and guarded with when it comes to sexuality. So it makes them more likely to say no more often. And if we build a world that is safer, that gives women the freedom to to not feel pressure, to not feel fear, it gives them the freedom to say yes when they really want to say yes. Oh, yeah. I was talking to another person earlier today, and she was talking about how with her young son, she was teaching him about boundaries and respecting not only other people's boundaries, but respecting one's own boundaries. Putting it in a young child's language, you you need to ask your friend before you play with their toys. Mm -hmm. Ask them if you can and respect them if they say, no, you can't. Yeah. And teaching early on that it's okay to say no when you need to, if that's within your boundary, but do it with from an open heart. Too often I see power plays around the word no, and sometimes around the word yes. <laughs> and that's part of the poor boundaries we have, is that we use it as a power, and I think that comes back to what we talked about earlier in this show is that sex has become so much a form of power control. Mm-hmm. And we're kind of taught that and we're socialized to make sex more of a power dynamic than a sacred act. Yeah, for sure. And one of the things that I see as developing as a sex-positive lifestyle for myself is being able to open myself to other people on a sexual level without being overtly sexual, if that makes sense. I want to be available, but I don't want to be in your face about it. (laughs) And part of it is also saying, I'm here to help you develop in your sexuality and help you discover and live a more sex-positive lifestyle. Teaching people better communication skills, how to set better boundaries for yourself and respect other people's boundaries. And I'm not going to try to sit here tonight and come up with a whole moral code around sexuality, but I think this is a good starting place to start developing a better moral code for each of ourselves. Yes. 
And that's one of the things with morality is that it is always personal. Like, there are things that are always wrong that should be a part of everyone's moral code. But not everyone's moral code has to look identically the same. There are people in our society that choose to be monogamous, and part of their moral code is that they have made an agreement with their partner not to be sexually active with anyone other than their partner, and that's part of their moral code, and that's a good moral code to have. But that doesn't make it wrong when someone is polyamorous who has a different moral code that it is perfectly acceptable to have sex with other people under the parameters that I decide with the the partners that I have. Both moral codes are still good. Both moral codes are valid. So you can't prescribe one moral code to everyone. And I think that's one of the big problems is that so many throughout culture and throughout time, so many people have tried to build one cookie cutter moral code for everyone and enforce it. And you kind of touch on something that another problem I see with our current day sexual morality. It's based on this belief system that there's only two sexes, that sex is binary male or female. Believe it or not, science has proven that sex, it really is a spectrum. We don't have very good words for it, but we've got some very butch men, some butch women, some effeminate men, and some very effeminate women. Mm -hmm. And then we've got intersexuals, we've got transsexuals, we've got asexuals, and all of these fit on the spectrum. And so sex, when you assume that there's only two sexes and then base a whole morality around that and even the whole system of marriage around that sex is binary, then it's flawed because it doesn't mirror what actually exists in people. Mm-hmm. And so you have a whole big problem with basing a sexual moral system around the idea and concept that there's just males and females. Uh, Yeah, I 100% agree with you. As someone who identifies as neither completely male or female, it it is a big problem, and it's hard for a lot of people to wrap their heads around the the concept of there being more than two genders and it it definitely does set us up for a world where a significant portion of the population is hated and scorned by another significant portion of the population i think it also lends to the power dynamic. When you only have males and females, it's easier to say, okay, males are the powerful, females are the weaker, and preserve that illusion. Mm -hmm. 
And when you start looking at, okay, there's more than two sexes, all of a sudden it breaks the illusion. Because, okay, if there's more than two, it all kind of falls apart. Where does the power cut off, Mm -hmm. (laughs) so to speak? (laughs) And once you have that broken, it's a lot easier to bring about a more equal basis for all people, not just men, not just women, but transsexuals and intersex and even people who are asexual. And I think that's one class of people that really gets underheard in the GLBT community. Definitely. And are very underrepresented is uh, asexual people. Yeah, it's it's very difficult, um, especially since, you know, I referred to sex as a need earlier. And for a lot of people, I would I would go so far as to say for most people, I do think that it's a need. But asexuals prove that it's not a need for everyone. And there's a lot of um, misunderstanding about asexuality because you know there's a lot of asexual people who they don't have any sexual desire or drive of their own but they still have sex with their partners because they think that it's a good bonding experience or you know because they want to make their partner happy or they don't have any sexual attraction but they still like the act of sex and as with a lot of things in the GBLT world, it is on a spectrum, and it's not something that's black or white. Well, I would like to jump in here and clarify a little bit. For some of the asexuals I've known, Mm -hmm. while they don't have a need for sex, they still have a need for intimacy. And often in our culture... We mix the two up. We think they're synonymous, Mm -hmm. that they're the same thing. And I can tell you they are very different things. I once had a friend that was a boy. We slept together naked, but we never wanted sex. He was, I think, asexual, and I wasn't attracted to him sexually. But I was attracted to him at the level of connecting of intimacy and it was a very amazing relationship because we were able to give each other intimacy without any sex entering the picture at all and yes he sometimes got an erection when he was cuddled up to me but it wasn't sexual it was very much just this feeling of connection and sex just never entered the picture I think it would have ruined what we had Mm -hmm. in that particular and that's rare for me to say but (laughs) 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 but I did respect that and I think that's part of what we're not that I want to make this show a little bit more about is that I think underlying all ethics is the word respect, respecting one another, and having that 
honor and respect for each human being. Including yourself. Oh, yes. And developing a whole moral code around honor and respect, I think, is far better than around a class system, preserving a class system or preserving the passage of wealth. And in some ways, power and wealth, while they can be different, oftentimes they can boil down to the same thing. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I look at when I get into all this is I want to create a more sex-positive world. And I want to create an attitude out there of, hey, I want to live a sex-positive lifestyle. I want the freedom of sexual expression. But within the boundaries of being honorable, having respect for each person, having informed consent, asking and talking about sex, and learning about sexuality, learning it formally even, learning it from ancient sources mm -hmm. like the Kama Sutra, reading it and learning some of the techniques learning about tantric sex and even about some of the tantric positions and it can be amazing some of the things you can achieve with our bodies <laughs> mm -hmm. and I've achieved some amazing <laughs> experiences sexually <laughs> and I th owe a large part of that due to living a sex positive lifestyle it's opening our minds and saying, oh, yes, I want to be free. I want to not live in the dark ages when it comes to sexuality. I want to learn and develop and grow as a sexual being. And, oh, it just oh, feels mm. so good. <laughs> well, we're almost to an hour. Any thoughts to wrap up? Yes, I wanted to say that earlier you said that we were living in the sexual dark ages and I don't think that you're wrong but I think that we're coming to the end of the sexual dark ages you know we had the sexual revolution in the 60s you if you type in tantra or Taoist genital massage or anything you can find it on the internet there are speakers and there's books and there's there's a movement that we are part of towards a sex positive lifestyle and i think that if more people embrace this movement that we can move out of the dark ages and we can be part of the sexual renaissance and I hope that that's the world that we are entering into. I believe it is and and I don't discount all that's occurred in my lifetime. I've seen us move from a very sexually repressed culture to one that's starting to open up more. It is happening but I think one of the clarifications I'd like to make is that we still have social orders that are very rooted in the d sexual dark ages <laughs> and that's that's the problem is is 
the 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 major powers that be but hopefully well actually it's not even just the powers that be it's the things we tell ourselves the things we call each other it's uh when we call a woman a whore or slut because she's showing a little libido and interest (laughs) when we use names in derogatory ways we're preserving that system and i think each of us has a part to play by opening the doors and saying no she's not a slut she's a beautiful nymph (laughs) (laughs) Uh, she or he's not a sick masochist he enjoys flying in subspace (laughs) renaming is one of the steps I take to help turn things around and we all have that power to do that and when we see people pushing some of that sex negative crap Mm -hmm. down our throats and you know the situations you've Mm -hmm. been to many gatherings where guys all kind of especially the straight narrow guys they enforce the whole homosexuality is bad or bisexuality is bad well they don't even they're kind of clueless when it comes (laughs) to bisexuality (laughs) when we can stand up and say no this isn't bad this is a beautiful thing (laughs) when we can rename it and that's one of the things I loved about the radical fairies I mean they stood up and said, yeah, we're queer, we're here, get over it. <laughs> we're faggots. <laughs> they took all the derogatory names and said, yes, we're claiming them. Yeah, and damn right I'm a cocksucker. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and by doing so, they reclaimed the power. All of a sudden, the, word bad, the derogatory words lost their meaning. Mm-hmm. They got scrambled. <laughs> And so we all have the power within us to create a more sex-positive world within our own world by living a sex-positive lifestyle. And I think that's the power that's slowly building in the world. Mm-hmm. L- at least that's my hope. <laughs> I, I think you're right. And with that, we did have a question come in that we'd like to cover before we end the show tonight. While Paul's looking it up, I'd like to just say that give some thought to really pledging yourself to living a more sex-positive lifestyle. Start influencing the people in your world and see if we can't create a more sex-positive world. For those that don't want to ask their question publicly, you can email your question to me. The email address is admin at ravenslayerleather.com. The email again, admin, A-D-M-I-N, at ravenslayerleather.com. Okay, you got the question? Yes, I do. So this is from a listener who writes, I've been in a relationship with the same man for 23 years. We've built a life together, shared triumphs and sorrows, and are very much in love. 
We used to have an amazing sex life when we first got together, but over the last few years it has become repetitive and dull. What can we do to revive our sex life and fall back into lust with each other? I think my first answer to that, which really kind of comes from the Taoist genital massage, is form a genital heart connection. Bring that spiritual side to your sex life. That will really put the spark back in. Yeah, you can go into porn, you can get into BDSM, you can get into a whole long line of things, watching porn together, doing all kinds of things. But those are a little more superficial. I think where you'd have the most impact is to do some practice of Taoist genital massage together. Form that genital heart connection with each other. Do that deep breathing together. Coordinated deep breath, breath work while you gaze into each other's eyes and form that bond. And I think that will help spark and bring about that amazing, good sex life. And, in, and in addition to that, utilize the erotic body map. Teach each other how you like to be pleasured. Show your partner and one of the exercises I give a lot of couples is to take their partner's hand and masturbate yourself with their hand. Show them through touch how you like to be touched. You can squeeze their hand as tight or as loosely, or you can put pressure down. If you're a woman having a partner do this, use their fingers and use the pressure, guide their pressure they're putting on your pussy with your hand and show them exactly how you like it. And by completing some exercises like this, it will spark a whole new dimension of pleasures and good feelings. <laughs> Anything you'd like to add to that answer? Yes. Um, I think one of the things, particularly in relationships that have been going on for a long time, is that people don't make time for sex. You know, they get bogged down with, you know, the rent and their jobs and, you know, different functions that they have to go to. And then by the end of all of it, they wind up at the end of the night and they're tired and not really in the mood, but setting some time aside each week that is just your time to be intimate with each other. And, you know, you don't have to just jump into sex. You can do things like massage or if one of you is interested in BDSM, like exploring that together. Another thing I would say is a lot of times people think of the the sex that they have with their partner is the kind of sex that they like and that their partner likes. It's like a Venn diagram and you can only do what meets in the middle. But really you've got to be willing to try to, to push a little bit. If there's something that sounds 
a little bit scary, but your partner's really turned on by it. Like, be willing to go out of your comfort area and try that thing that sounds a little bit scary to you and expect them to do the same for you. And you might find that this thing that they thought was really hot that you were scared of, you find it when you're in the middle of it that you're actually really into it and you think it's really hot too. Mm-hmm. I think another thing that can help is to, like you said, schedule times. Oftentimes, when you've been together a long time, it's like, okay, what can we do that's a little different? Or And I think part of it is scheduling a time for sex that is free of distractions, that's your time. It gives a good, clear message. Hey, I really want to be close to you. I think also trying those new things out, while they can be scary, it also helps open doors of communication. Share with your partner things that maybe you hadn't shared before. Maybe you've got some interests that you've been a little bit hesitant to, you know, well, we've never done this. This is kind of scary. <laughs> and it's not like you have to just jump out there with it. Build up to it. Build a bridge to it. And you might even bring up, s there's lots of information out there. Bring up some information and share it with your partner from third-party sources. Sometimes that can help soften the blow, so to speak. <laughs> I would suggest listening to adult bedtime stories together. I think that's a great way for you and your partner to start thinking about sex. And, you know, you might hear something on this podcast that makes you go, ooh, that's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> we do have some many different interesting shows. And one of the things I've noticed, there are have been some recent trends. I noticed that Anal sex is becoming much, much more popular. I mean, it's just, for a long time, it was so taboo. And now oh, yeah. more and more people are exploring it and practicing it. Mm -hmm. Masturbation is something that's becoming more popular and more open. For a long time, masturbation was taboo. I remember I knew a couple and the wife thought, Oh, if he masturbates, he's cheating on me. <laughs> no, <laughs> he's not cheating. <laughs> In fact, studies have been done, and most people use, use masturbation as their primary means of sexu sexual fulfillment throughout the human lifetime. And so it's not something dirty or bad. It's something very pleasurable. <laughs> And, you know, if, if it's not a thing that you've ever done before, maybe masturbate in front of each other. Oh, yeah, definitely. That can be so hot. <laughs> mm -hmm. So with that, we'll end this episode of Adult Bedtime Stories. Enjoy those nocturnal emissions. <laughs> Good night. I find it interesting 
that adults in our culture are not provided with informative sexual education. Even married couples don't have access to an adequate sexual education and how to pleasure each other. It's assumed that somehow we will instinctively know all that we need to know about sex. I don't know how you feel about this, but I think there's a better method. I would like to invite you to join me in developing a sex-positive lifestyle with freedom of sexual expression between consenting adults. Join us each week to learn everything sexual. Add your comments about the show and any suggestions you have for future show topics. We would love to hear from you. Be sure to subscribe to the show so you won't miss any episodes. This concludes this edition of Adult Bedtime Stories. Are you ready to experience nocturnal emissions? Sex is the final frontier. So explore everything sexual. It's time to get your checking account to zero with free checking from PenFed. That's zero ATM fees, zero balance requirements, and zero time spent waiting for your paycheck to direct deposit because you can receive it up to two days early. Open your account with just $25 and see how big zero can be. Apply online today at penfed.org slash free checking. Early direct deposit eligibility may vary between pay periods and timing of payers' funding. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. PenFed's got-